Jamie almost took me out. Almost. Well, good morning. My name is Melinda Reed. We're so glad that you're here with us, whether you're streaming online or you're here in person. We are so glad. What a beautiful day to be together. And we want to stay connected with you. So um, if you're here in person, there's a connect card either in front of you um, or on your chair that helps you let us know how to pray for you, where you might want to get involved. It's just the way that we stay connected. So we want you to take advantage of that. Um, I know that today we bring in everything that we've had going on this week, and so I pray that today would just be, this moment would be just a breath of fresh air. And we have a guest speaker today that I'll introduce later that's going to continue the I Am series um, that Brad started a couple weeks ago. Kevin um, is in the home stretch of his sabbatical. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. So start making your banners and get out your I Love My Pastor t-shirt. We'll all be ready for when, for when he's back. Um, but anyway, would you just pray with me as we invite God here? Father, we come from busy weeks. We come from joy. We come from pain. We come from hardship. We come from ease. And God, as we walk in and bring our whole real self to you, would you free our minds of any distraction would you help us be fully present as we experience the gift, the amazing gift of your presence? Help us to free our minds in a way that we would engage with you, God, 
through worship and singing and prayer and through listening to your word, that, God, when we leave later, that we will be changed and it will equip us for the week. And we just give that and surrender that to you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys want to worship? Let's stand up. Let's worship.
God, that is our fervent prayer, that we would disappear, God, and that you would be the center, the thing that penetrates and lights through our life. Let it be so today, God. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's my joy and honor today to introduce to you um, Tyler Whitman, who's going to be giving the message today. And Tyler and I go way back, like two years back, right? Something like that. Um, You may know him, and I have to introduce you like this, that you're Grace's husband, like you're Grace Hegel's Whitman's husband. So if you remember Dave Hegel, our former worship pastor, Grace grew up, you can wave at him, Grace, um, in our church. And um, her and Tyler were married a year ago in February. And Greg and I were privileged to do their marriage counseling. So we're going to start by me telling you like really how it is with Tyler. Actually, you can just see me later and I'll tell you the real scoop. Um, I've learned and grown to really love this guy. Um, He's a real old soul. Um, hence the suit and tie that impressive, right? Kevin has got a lot to follow up on. I'm just saying, just saying. Um, Tyler is the associate pastor and youth minister um, at Kitsap Presbyterian and has, he went to Whitworth, is now going to seminary and I have heard him preach and I know that you're going to be, uh, really enjoy this as he continues our series. So Tyler, it's yours. Thanks, Melinda. Would you welcome him? Well, good morning. Yeah, uh, the suit, don't worry, it is not because I am some independent fundamentalist Baptist preacher who thinks that this is the only acceptable attire for men. I just like it, and I'm a strange 26-year-old man who likes suits. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to John chapter 8. Uh, this is, uh, as Kevin would tell you, the fourth gospel Uh, So if you go to your New Testament, this is the fourth gospel, and you're almost in the middle of that gospel, John chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse 12. And as you're turning there, I'm going to do a a quick introduction to this series that you're in and to just the gospel of John itself. And so it's important for us, as you guys are going through these I Am statements, which is the series you're in, these statements that occur seven different times in John's gospel— and occur only in John's gospel, uh, to know what John is trying to do. He is not uh, trying to just tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry uh, on earth. So he does not start with the genealogies in the way that Matthew and Luke do. He doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He goes all the way back uh, to the very beginning when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Um, but he has a very specific purpose for writing the gospel, and he actually tells us what this purpose is. This is a translation you don't have in your Bibles because uh, it's from one of the commentators that I really like. But this is, this is what uh, is said in John chapter 20, verse 31. What has been written down in this book has been written down to this end, that y'all, or the plural of you, y'all, the Greek, English translations don't do that, but Greek, that's what the word is, y'all, that y'all will be believers that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you can have life 
that is as present as the simple invocation of his name. So this is what he is trying to do in his gospel. He is laying out an argument for why you should believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And so these I am statements are doing precisely that. They are unique and actually strange constructions in the Greek. For us as English readers and speakers, we may say, well, I am statements are common in our language. We say, I am hungry, I am tired, and dads will often say, hi, tired, my name's dad. But we say, I am often. And these seven I am statements, and here's what they are, they're, I am the bread of life in chapter six, I am the light of the world today in chapter eight, I am the gate or the door for the sheep in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd also in chapter 10, I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. And I am the true vine, chapter 15. These statements in the Greek use two words back to back that say, I am. So the first is ego. And I think we have slides for this. I don't know if we did. But the first is ego. And this is, if, if Jesus just said, ego, I am the light of the world, it would have been a good Greek sentence, and it would have made sense to his hearers. Or had he said the second Greek word to be, uh, to, for, the, for the verb to be or I am, I me or Amy, and he said, Amy, I'm the bread of life, Amy, I am the light of the world, it would have been perfectly fine. But he doesn't do that. He puts these two words together. And he says, ego, I me. He's not stuttering. And his hearers wouldn't have thought he is stuttering, but really what he is saying is, I am, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus is doing, and what's so important about these statements, is he is calling back to Exodus chapter 3. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Greek Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Old Testament this is how they translate Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, Ego Aimi. And a lot of you probably know this verse well, because Moses is being sent by Yahweh, and Yahweh has said, and Moses asks, Who do I say sent me? And he says, Tell them, I am who I am. I am that I am. God is telling them that this is who I am, and his people will know that Moses is being sent by Yahweh. And our Greek translation of the Old Testament translates that word, that phrase, in the same way Jesus speaks in the I am statements. I am, I am. He is saying, I am who I am. And so he is connecting himself to the very deity, the very God of the Old Testament. He is saying, I am Yahweh, come in the flesh. And this is important as John moves through his gospel. He brings these in multiple different times, seven for, for, in fact. He brings them in seven times to say, this is who Jesus is. A lot of his hearers will likely know of this Jesus guy. They've heard, they've heard rumors that Jesus lived on earth, that he had some ministry, that the government wasn't very happy with him. Um, and then he died on the cross. He died the death of a criminal. And maybe now they're starting to hear that there are rumors that he rose from the dead. 
And John knows that his hearers have heard that. And so he is trying to start with the presupposition that yes, all of that happened. And if you just read and understand my gospel, you will know that he is the one who came to save us from the bondage of death. And so that's the importance, that's the beauty, the power of these I am statements. This is why when he makes those statements, he, he, they, they try to capture him, they try to kill him then because he is blaspheming against the very name of God. He is saying, this is who I am. And this is what he does in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we are in John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the witness of the two men is true. I am he who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he was teaching in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and to conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word but accomplish that for which it is given, for the sake of our Savior. Amen. So let's look at the context of our eight verses this morning, John 8, verses 12 through 20. Um, I'm not going to spend too much saying anything about verses 73 in chapter 7 to verses 11 in chapter 8, um, but likely these Verses, this woman caught in adultery story doesn't belong there in this story, in this gospel telling. Uh, it was likely added. It's probably a story that actually happened, um, but it, we find it in Luke. We find it later in John. Um, but if you want any other interesting information as to why we still have it in our Bibles um, or why we believe it to be authentic or, or should read it, uh, come find me after the service and, and we can kind of geek out over that a little bit. Um, but so Jesus is speaking still during uh, what is called the festival or, or uh, the, yeah, the festival of the booths or the tabernacles. And so he hasn't spoken uh, in, uh, since uh, verse 39 in chapter 7. And so this is the first time he said that. Nicodemus has just kind of had that interaction with the Pharisees and others um, about who is this Jesus? Uh, should we believe him? Should we trust him? And then Jesus is still teaching in the temple, as we see in verse 20. He is teaching in the treasury during this time. Now, this is a unique time for Jesus to be making some of these claims. Because what the festival of booths was, was it was for the Israelites to uh, celebrate God's gracious providences during their wilderness wanderings or wilderness exile. 
And so the three most dramatic providences by God during that time were these, the manna. And that is honored in Jesus' dramatic uh, bread sermon in chapter 6 that you, see, that you saw two weeks ago. The second is that water from the rock, which is honored in Jesus' promise of living rivers of water in the soul of the believers. That's in chapter 7. And then the third is the light of the fiery pillar of the cloud, which is honored today in our text. And so Jesus is, is using this celebration to call people to see who he is. That there, the manna fell from heaven and his, the fathers ate, but they were not satisfied. Anyone who comes and eats of my flesh will never hunger and will never thirst and will be fully satisfied. He is the living waters in our soul and he is the divine and supernatural light that is imparted directly into our soul. That's the title of today's sermon that I stole from Jonathan Edwards uh, preaching in John chapter 1. So let's look for a moment. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Now this is important uh, that it's, he is the light of the world, not just a light. He is not just a great light and there are other lights that we can look at, but he is the light, the only light that does what he does, that illumines what is dark. And so light has a specific purpose, does it not? Light has a specific purpose, and it is just to illumine darkness, to show what is in the darkness, to make it possible for us to see. We might even say that light is revealing. It reveals to us the realities that would be otherwise unseen in the darkness. Maybe you go to a cabin or an Airbnb for the first time, and the lights are off, and it's dark at night, and you turn on the light, and you see a spider the light reveals the spider to you that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And Jesus, as the light, is doing this very thing. He is revealing something to us as the light. And these, I chose these eight verses very specifically because they're connected. Jesus is trying to show to us who he is and revealing some very specific truths for us. So the first thing he does is he reveals to us that he is Yahweh. And that's really the entirety of these eight verses. He is the God of the Old Testament, the one who just is, the one who is in the beginning with God and who through nothing was, without whom with nothing was made and through whom everything was made, John chapter 1. He is the image of the very invisible God that Paul uses that, that uh, great statement in Colossians chapter 3. He is saying, this is who I am. I am that I am. I am God. Trust me. Believe in me. But he is also saying something really unique and powerful for us as Christians that the Jews didn't quite get, and even the first century Christians didn't fully understand, is he is revealing the Father. And as he reveals the Father, he is also showing to us a glimpse of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, existing together in perfect harmony and love and mercy and grace together. 
the God who exists in three persons as one being, we get to see a glimpse of that here. In verse 19, if you, you know neither me nor my father, but if you knew me, you would know my father also. The Jews regularly called God Father, but they did not consider there to be some second person of the Trinity, that there was some other divine son. They didn't even fully understand what the, the Holy Spirit was, or that the Spirit even existed. God was God, he was one, and that was it. And Jesus is saying, I am not just the God of the Old Testament. I am not just Yahweh, but I am the Son uh, in connection to the Father, and the Father and I are one. He is equal to the Father. That's what that I am statement does. And he does this again when he shows his eternality with the Father just a bit later in verse 58, where that great verse, a lot of you probably know, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I tell you, before Abraham was, ego I me, I am. I was before Abraham was. So not only am I God, but I am eternal, and I was with the Father in the beginning. But he does something else for us, something that I often have to pause and really try to comprehend myself, is that he gives us a glimpse of the way in which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit relate to each other. He gives us a glimpse into their eternal relationship. And he says, I am sent by the Father. This is what we would call Orthodox Trinitarianism, Nicene Trinitarianism, that the Father is neither created nor begotten nor proceeds from anyone, but he sends. The Son is neither created, but he is begotten from the Father before all worlds. And then the Spirit is neither created nor, be, nor begotten, but he proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we get to see a glimpse of this sending. Jesus is saying, I was sent by the Father. We get to see a little bit that back in eternity past, something somehow mysteriously happened in which the Father and the Son covenanted together that the Son would be the Son, and that the Son would come and be sent by the Father, that the Son would descend, not hold equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant, taking on flesh, and that he would live a perfect life, die for us on the cross, and raise from the, from the third day. He is sent by the Father to do that, to do what is the will of the Father, which is also his will. And whenever I come across texts like these, which many of them are in the Gospel of John, I have to pause and realize the magnitude of what is happening here, the scenario in which I get to read. It's easy for me, and probably for a lot of us, to just kind of nod along. Yep, I know that. I know that truth. I know this story. I've read it a bunch of times. I've read the I Am statements and been through a sermon series on it before, and I concur. These are good truths, and then I'll just flip to the next page. But if we sit and pause for a moment at this story, stare at it, meditate on it, chew it, what is happening? If we take the, the language at face value, 
and see it is greater than just an argument between Jesus and the Pharisees, what do we see? Are these verses not astounding to you? They are to me. Jesus has just equated himself with the very God of the Old Testament, the God who created all things. He is making a bold and audacious claim. And to us who know him, we, we think, oh, it's just a common truth that everybody knows. But this is groundbreaking stuff. He is the one who created the mountains and the trees and the seas and all things that dwell in the seas and on earth. He has claimed that he is ase, which means that he is one and he has always been who he is. He is eternal. He just is who he is. He does that in that I am statement. And he has told us very plainly that what he has come to do to be the light of the world was purposed for him in eternity past. It's a grand moment. It's a groundbreaking, earth-shattering moment for us. And he's come to do this. He's come to be, yes, the bread, of the, the bread of life and the light of the world. And this is what we might say it means for him to be the light of the world fully, more than just what is contained in this text. He illumines that which is dark. When Jesus comes to earth, his entire mission is to show that the world is broken and in darkness, that those who are trying to follow the law of God cannot do it perfectly cannot satisfy the law that has been given to them. And that no matter how hard they try, no matter how perfect they think they are, they are broken. And they have misunderstood, misappropriated the very nature of God. Fearing him, fearing that if they do not live perfectly, they cannot be in relationship with him. And Jesus is showing them that that cannot be the reality. Jesus is God and God of the Old Testament is a gracious and loving God. He is coming to show that the world is broken. And every time he speaks truth, the multitudes leave. Every time he speaks truth, the darkness tries to capture him. In John 8, verse 58, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, what did they do? They all picked up stones to stone him. And he runs and he, and he flees and he, he, because his hour has not yet come. But their entire mission, the darkness's entire mission is to get Jesus, is to persecute him. And he is illuminating to the world that the world is dark. And he does that for us too as our light. He shows us that which is dark. When we read his word and we see what is true, we see what is good, we are able to look out into the world and say, there is death, there is darkness, there is evil. And this where Jesus' very essence is contained and revealed to us, we see the darkness of our world. It illumines that which is dark, and the darkness hates this light. It is as if the darkness of our world is like a vampire who has dwelt in the dark so long that as light comes out, it, it must find darkness again lest it die. This light destroys the darkness. Job, in one of his great poems in, 24, in Job 24, says, murderers and adulterers hate the light. Our world, our dark, dead, evil world, hates the light. And you know that, and you see it. 
For whenever you confront darkness with the word and with the light of Christ, they either try to shut out your darkness, cover it, or flee. You ever wonder why so many atheists or so many God-haters say don't use the Bible? Is it because they don't they just don't like you or they just don't like the Bible or they don't understand it? Or is it because when the Bible is read to them, it is permeating their darkness? It is showing to them that they are in darkness. They are in death. They are dead, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. They are spiritually and morally corrupt and broken. Don't use that Bible because I don't want it to, to expose my darkness. I want to be able to live in my darkness. And I, and I think I want your reason to try to to, to try to go against my darkness rather than that which is truth, that which is light. The world is dark and Jesus comes to illumine the darkness. Isaiah chapter 9, this, this great messianic pro- pro- prophecy which says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. But then it says, those who live in the land of the shadow of death the light will shine on them and that he shall multiply the nation and he shall make great their gladness and they will be glad in your presence with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. The light will come and it will expose that which is dark but it gives to them somewhere else to go. See, Jesus doesn't just come as our light, as the light of the world and expose darkness and leave it to be, leave it to figure out its own darkness, but he also reveals to us truth and goodness. As one commentator says, for for without the revelation of Christ, the world would be in darkness and he and only he irradiates human existence with the knowledge of its nature, with the knowledge of its meaning and the knowledge of its purpose. He shows to us who we are called to be, who we are supposed to be in him. He calls us to live into what is good and what is right. He shows us the way. He shows us the path that is righteousness. He is the revelation of the Most High God who is in very essence, goodness, perfection, and love and mercy. And so he has come to make God known, God's goodness and his purpose known so the world may know it and the world may live more like him. And of course, ultimately for us, as our light, he is the salvation of the world out of darkness. Again, he has not just come to say, the world is dark, and here's some ways to fix it. Here's some some ways to live so you can fix it. That's what the Pharisees had, and they couldn't fix the darkness. But he came very specifically, very specifically to save sinners out of darkness, to break the chains and the bondage of the darkness that they lived in so that we could be raised to new life. John chapter one says, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He died so that we may live in the light. So we may be in Christ, have perfect oneness and unity with our savior. 
so that all who believe in him are therefore in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are in the light. You no longer have to live in the darkness. Not only do you not have to live in the darkness, the darkness has no power over you. The light is your life. Live into it because you have it around you always because he is the light and you are in him and you are in the light. And he lights the path of righteousness, the path of light for his namesake. So he says, this is the way to live. I am going to be with you and dwell with you until the end of the age. Live as risen people. Live as people who are in the light. And so that's what the call is, is to live as those who are in the light. John later writes three epistles. These are 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And these letters are designed to kind of clarify some of the things he said in his gospel because some people have started to uh, uh, muddy the waters a bit, if you will. And he says this in chapter one, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not know the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And then he says this a few verses later, this is how we know that we know him. We know Christ if we keep his commandments. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Friends, we are called to live as those with light. We are called to mortify, get rid of, kill our sin, and live as those in the light, live righteous lives. Forgive one another, repent of our sins, realize that we are not perfect and never will be on this side of eternity, but live like Christ. Live as if the light is in our lives. And we must be aware, though, that this is in no way saying that in order for us to be saved, or in order for us to receive Christ, that is the light, that we must obey the law. That's legalism, and it perverts the gospel. But rather what John is saying in this letter and all through his gospel is that because we have the light, because we are in the light, we ought to live that way in full gratitude and love for our God, not for any sort of reward in heaven or on earth, but in thanksgiving. As John says in his letter, we love and therefore obey because he first loved us. Because of the ways that he has released us from sin, released us from our old lives and raised us to new life, the ways that he has given us grace and mercy and goodness, arms of a loving father in times of need. Because of what he has given us, we love him and we love him by living in the way he has called us 
The Psalm 23 says that most famous psalm, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, for him. And so friends, what I'm hoping to do is to call your attention to the majesty of our Lord, to the grand light and glory of the Savior who came and died for you and for me, to the fullness that is in him. He is the light. And so if you feel you are in the darkness, look to him, turn to him, turn to his word, turn to worship, turn to prayer, and sit and dwell in the light. He radiates the world with his glory. He shines forth into the world with his love. He lights my soul and permeates the darkness that surrounds me. How wondrous is he who has set us free set us free from the slavery of sin. How mighty is he who is able to raise us to a new life and raised himself from the dead. How bright is the light of the love shed on us by our Savior who has secured us for himself and purchased us with his blood for no other reason than his love. Who can give such grace as he, grace that is so unconditional, undeserved, and unmatched? Friends, how can we not desire to live in him when we are awakened to such goodness and when we are awakened to such goodness that flows from his sufferings? So don't despair. The darkness is not your, is not our truest reality. It cannot win. It does not win, and it will never overcome those who are in Christ Jesus. We have the light. We are in the light. Let him shine on you and through you, because as we live in the light, it is our grand calling to live and love as he has lived and loved the world. It is our way of being light to the world, of bearing witness and testimony about Christ our Lord, to the world, to show this is who he is. And so now to those who don't know him, to those of you who may be here for the first time and don't know Jesus, who may feel you are living in darkness, maybe right now the very spirit is permeating your heart and making you feel aware of your sin, turn from the darkness, turn from that which is death, Turn from the deadness of your soul and turn to the light that will be with you always and trust and believe fully and truly that Jesus is the Son of God, God come in the flesh, who died for you and for me. Christ is dead for you and Christ is raised for you. Believe in him, trust in him. And to the saints, to those who are in Christ, to those who are in the light, If you feel you are living in darkness or you feel the darkness tugging and pulling, come back to your Savior. Look to your Savior and let his face shine upon you and feel the warmth of his light. Dwell in that light, which is goodness and love. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Savior. We thank you. We thank you for your word that shows us yourself, that reveals to us yourself. 
But we thank you for the revelation it provides. The revelation that you are a God of love, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a holy God who did not leave us to despair but came, dwelt among us, and died for us. Help us to look to you. Help us to see your light in those moments where the darkness seems to reign. Help us to hold it closely. Be with us. Help us to be the light of the world as you have called us to be. We love you. And in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship.
continue our time of worship with the time of offering. Um, if you are visiting, please feel no pressure. This is not for you. This is specifically for people who call High Point home. Um, so I'd like to just pray for our offering today. Father God, we just ask that you bless these offerings and use them for your glory. May they be used to further the kingdom and spread your love and bring hope to those in need. I want to pray specifically for those that are facing financial challenge or burden, that you would provide for their needs and grant them the strength and wisdom to navigate their circumstances, but also to help us be a community that supports and uplifts each other, sharing in both joys and struggles. Thank you, God, for the privilege of giving and the opportunity to participate in your work. May our offerings bring you joy to your heart and a lasting impact on the lives of your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I also have a couple of announcements to highlight this morning. Um, we have a men's and women's event coming up on July 15th. We have a men's breakfast. This has become quite the popular event. For me, I enjoy sleeping Saturday, and they start at 7.30 a.m., so you guys go for that. But I heard the breakfast is phenomenal. It's just $5. If you could sign up online so they can know that you're coming and have enough of food. And also, this is a great outreach event. Invite a buddy to come with you and just enjoy breakfast and fellowship with a great group of guys. And then, ladies, we have a women's service event coming up on July 22nd. We just want you to mark your calendars. We are going to be coming alongside some um, CareNet and Step Up and um, doing a service project with these organizations. There are more details on our website or our app, but please mark your calendar for that time to come and serve with us on July 22nd. And then finally, I wanted to share with you all that I got a text message from Stephen, who is at camp with our youth right now. We have 48 AP 48 HP students and leaders at Black Diamond Camp this weekend. And for those of you that have campers there, he reported that everyone is alive and well. So if you breathe a sigh of relief, our campers didn't take phones this year. So, so you may have wondered, and I'm letting you know that they're well. And then I also just want to pray for them this morning as I pray for you all to have a great Sunday. So please join me. Father God... Whew, teenage years, they are rough. And I just pray, um, God, not only that they're having fun and making great memories, but also that it's a time of transformation and life change. As they study what it means to be rooted in you, I pray that just lasting change is made and that they come back different um, and changed because of your word. I also want to pray for my church family, um, just amazing group of people as I look out. I thank Tyler so much for his word today, and I pray that as we leave today that we would be people who live in the light and that people would see that in us as we leave this, as we leave this church and go to be the church. Enjoy your Sunday and have a great day.
Oh, amen. Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, you're dismissed. Sorry. <laughs> I'm bad at this. I'm fired. 